0: Der Krieg ist eine Katastrophe für die Ukraine, aber der Krieg wird sich auch als Katastrophe für Russland erweisen. Von nun an Jahr für Jahr mehr als zwei Prozent des Bruttoinlandsprodukts in unsere Verteidigung investieren.
1: This is a clip from Olaf Scholz's February 2022 speech to the Bundestag, which is the German Parliament. In the speech, Schultz announced that Germany would spend 100 billion euros on its military. This was after the Ukraine war broke out and it marked a fundamental shift in German foreign policy which is deemed the Seitenwende or the turning point. Schultz's call to increase military spending shocked many people both within Germany and throughout the world. I'm Andrew and I'm joined by Aria. Nate. Cormack. Today, we're going to discuss the Ukraine War's effects on Germany. A while back, we interviewed Dr. Arndt Michael on this topic. Dr. Michael is a professor of international relations at the University of Freiburg. With help from Dr. Michael's expertise as both a professor and a German, we'll be exploring how the Ukraine War has shaken up German pacifism and German foreign policy. We are looking at Germany as a case study as to how the Ukraine War is pushing aside what might be called liberal diplomatic strategy and ushering in a new era of global politics.
0: To show the shock of Schultz's announcement, we have to give it a little bit of historical context. So let's roll back the clock 70 years. After the Second World War, much of the European continent was in ruins, and Germany was no exception. Berlin was rubble. This was the second time Europe had been destroyed in less than 50 years. Leaders from around the world were determined to rebuild and prevent another bloodbath. In order to do so, Germany set in motion a plan to become pacifist in both everyday life and in international politics, as Dr. Michael explains.
2: There has been a complete change of focus. Until 1945, the whole German society was very militaristic. Uh, think Prussia, think the grand traditions of Frederick the Great 200 years ago, and think Deutsches Reich in 1871, First World War. All this, thank God, came to an end in 1945.
0: One part of the German pacifist mission would be the creation of the European Coal and Steel Community, or the ECSC, in 1952. The countries in Western Europe collaborated to establish a common market for the two resources. Although this project might seem small, it was actually part of a greater plan to continuously integrate or unite European nations through economic collaboration. It was hoped that cooperation would become a self-sustaining process where it continuously spills over into other partnerships. In the interview, we asked Dr. Michael to help explain this spillover.
2: Countries, who start working together at a very low level, some economic sectors, some policy sectors, that this kind of cooperation will eventually make cooperation become bigger, become better. So small cooperation leads to large cooperation, leads to more cooperation, leads to deepened cooperation, leads to wider cooperation.
0: Self-sustaining collaboration was very much a dream for the EU founding fathers. In the 50s, it was hoped that the partnership would result in political integration, ideally in the creation of a European federation. The European dream has partially come true. After many treaties stacked on top of each other, the ECSC would eventually become the European Union in 1992. What do you think of the spillover? Do you think that it's a good way to conduct relationships between countries? German passivism was at the center of the European integration project from the very beginning. The ECSC had been set up to prevent Germany from gaining control of coal and steel, so that the nation would be unable to build weapons of war and invade France. The Schumann Declaration announced the ECSC's creation. The document says,
3: The solidarity in production thus established will make it plain that any war between France and Germany becomes not merely unthinkable, but materially impossible. The ECSC and the spillover might help us understand German diplomatic strategy and its relations with its neighbors. The Germans chose common markets and trade with a goal to keep peace through shared prosperity. Capital flows and economic interest were the tools by which West Germany could form stable relationships with France and other nations it had worked with. In such ways West Germany was experimenting with pacifist, liberal international relations. This philosophy remains very much in place today when we talk about the EU, the European nations brought together with the hope of putting aside historical and political differences and forming shared economic interests. And now let's fast forward to the late 1980s.
0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall.
4: The fall of the Berlin Wall marked the beginning of the end of the Cold War and was a major moment in contemporary history. Francis Fukuyama wrote an essay that same year titled The End of History, which would later be expanded into a book. His main thesis was that liberal democracy had become the final form of government and that major war as we knew it had become obsolete. At the time, this thesis was actually somewhat controversial, and it still is today. In his book, Fukuyama wrote, quote, What we may be witnessing is not just the end of the Cold War or the passing of a particular period of post-war history, but the end of history as such. That is, the end point of mankind's ideological evolution and the universalization of Western liberal democracy as the final form of human government. End quote. Fukuyama notes that there may be some wars that occur every now and again, but generally, the world would be peaceful and capitalist. Do you see his claims in the modern world? Maybe you do, maybe you don't.
0: Either way, Fukuyama claimed that nations would conduct their relations with one another through economic tools, which he calls common marketization. Sound familiar?
4: Fukuyama's vision of a peaceful world was generally considered a departure from the statecraft of the Cold War. At the same time, it confirmed the validity of West Germany's pacifist, liberal democratic experimentation. In fact, West Germany may be considered a testing case for what would become Fukuyama's theories. Dr. Michael agrees.
2: Yeah, so that could be regarded as a confirmation. And of course, Germany was at the, if you will, analytical center of uh, political science because it was this state wedged between Poland, of course, being a satellite state to the Soviet Union, and then the European Union's Western Western states. So what happened in in, in Germany uh, was a uh, case in point, basically, for how a situation could develop in a very positive direction even after the Second World War. I mean, who had thought in 1945 that you would have a uh, flourishing democracy with people really saying democracy is the most important um, system in the world. So um, all in all, yeah, I think yeah, it was a confirmation. Germany was a testing case and it showed it's possible.
3: The fall of the Berlin Wall marked the victory for German pacifism and liberal international relations. Unified Germany seemed to be Fukuyama's biggest fans, they used economics and diplomacy to bargain in the international sphere from the 1990s until the present. Since
2: 1990, politicians have tried to position Germany as a against civilian power in, in the frame of negotiating uh, negotiating tables, meeting at negotiating tables. Hmm. No military, simply The Germans using their economic clout, you know, as an economic powerhouse in order to push through a very pacific, uh, pacifist civilian agenda.
1: Before the war broke out, Germany used its economic clout, diplomacy, and pacifism in its relationships with Russia. Some of our listeners might know that Germany is very reliant on Russian natural gas. In 2021, the Germans and Russians finished construction of Nord Stream 2. This is a new oil pipeline from Western Russia into Northeastern Germany. Some of you may think that Nord Stream 2 was simply an economic project, but we would contend that it also had a diplomatic thread. The medium wrote an article on Nord Stream and claimed, quote, hopefully increased interdependence and overlapping interests will help to shape a future of stability in Europe and continue the precious absence of another major war on the continent, end quote. Nord Stream's ambitions seemed to run parallel to the reasoning of the ECSC and the spillover. It was hoped that economic interdependence between Russia and Germany would promote peace in Europe and ease the tensions that exist between East and West. As Putin began to place Russian troops on the border of Ukraine, the Schultz government went back to its playbook of diplomatic pacifist tools. In fact, the chancellor met with Putin several times to try to encourage him not to invade the country.
3: Given a long history of successful pacifism and diplomacy for the German government, a major war on the European continent came as a shock. We would like to add that just days before Scholz got up before the Bundestag, he had responded to a Ukrainian request for weapons by sending helmets. The mayor of Kiev said, what's next? Pillows? Dr. Maiko spoke about his experience watching the speech.
2: I was sitting on my, on my sofa in the living room, and of course, the day before I was said, uh, the chancellor is going to speak to the German um, German people tomorrow, which happened maybe like six or seven times in the last 60 years. And I was quite surprised when he coined or used this term. In German, we say, Zeitenwende and the English translation, I guess, is turning point." That he announced it, I think, was high time, was definitely necessary, because the Ukraine being threatened, as it were, and as it is now by Russia, simply necessitates that the European Union provides a uh, like an answer that shows to the world at large and to Russia. We mean it earnestly. German journalists, they love to leak documents. They're regularly published information about the state of affairs of the German army, if you Google it, you will find all this information. I think Germany has like 50 planes, the German Air Force, or 60 planes, Eurofighters. We have two U-boats, two, not 200, just two, and one is almost broken. It's really, it's tragic and it's dangerous in times of war, which nobody of us expected.
4: Dr. Michael notes that Germany's military is in a state of disrepair, that the Ukraine war necessitates rearmament, However, he also said that Schultz's call to rearm the country might not be ambitious enough. Heads up, replace each million with a billion.
2: Olaf Schulz said we are going to invest 100 million euros. It's not enough. He should have said we are going to invest 500 million. Because there's so much, you know, the, the, the army is in a state of disrepair, as is the Navy, as is the, the Air Force. And of course, Russia knows it because everybody knows it. It's again, it's, it's in the public, the public domain. And if you say, today I'm going to repair my house and you ask the bank, give me a loan. And the bank says, sure. How long will it take if your house is in a state of disrepair until everything from the basement to the roof is actually repaired? It's not taking place overnight. It will take, if it's a house, 12 months, 24 months. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at the army of 83, 84 million people, how many years is that going to take?
4: Germany's choice to rearm its military won't be finished quickly. So while the Ukraine war rages, the country sits in a very insecure position. Do you agree with Dr. Michael that Germany should be spending more? What's your reaction?
0: As an example of insecurity, Dr. Michael noted that it may be a risky decision for Germany to send weapons to Ukraine due to its military's willful state.
2: The problem is, Germany has so few tanks of its own, that, and this is like a like a scenario discussion taking place in, in the media now. Now what happens if Putin really goes completely nuts and decides to attack the European Union, NATO, and Germany? And Germany has sent maybe 25 or 30 percent of its tanks to the Ukraine, to Ukraine. How can Germany still defend itself?
4: We also had the chance to speak with Dr. Michael about some of Germany's gas struggles. He notes that the country is experiencing massive anxiety about the coming winter.
2: People are anxious, people are afraid. Families who have two or three children, you know, they're asking, how can I pay my utility bills in January or February? And You know, my mother is 84 now, and she was like a a child of the Second World War. She was um, seven when the Second World War ended. And the time from 1945 until 1950 was very dark times for German families. Not enough food to eat, no heating, no gas at the time. You know, you were still heating with uh, coal or with wood. And she remembers these very cold winters after the Second World War. She was like eight, nine, ten. And for her, it's like history repeating itself.
1: So close Germany is currently in a massive historical shift. It's rearming itself after 70 years of pacifism and it's putting its old playbook of international relations on the back burner. Um, in addition, the Ukraine war makes Germany feel very insecure. Although it has plans to rearm, the country remains militarily weak at present. And citizens are concerned that Germany won't be able to defend itself of Putin strikes and are concerned about heating their homes this winter. Fukuyama dreamed of a peaceful international sphere of contracts and negotiations between countries. And for a while, he might have been right, at least in German high politics. However, once the Ukraine war broke out, history officially began in Germany and perhaps across the world.